Hey everybody, welcome to The Lawyer's Daughter. I apologize for the reflection. I don't know what quite to do about that, but I'll try to keep my head down a little bit. That is my actual living room as my background today. If you're watching this on video, if you're just on audio, you can't see it, but it just looks like a regular old lady bed, uh, living room with a fan aimed at my chair for, you know, those moments when I have to tell Alexa to turn on the fan because I got a little warm. Luckily, I don't have very bad hot flashes, which is exactly not what you tuned in for, but I wanted to start to show a little bit more of my place and make this a, a little bit closer to me because today I don't have a big topic. I have stuff I'd like to talk about, and I hope you will indulge me and join me and find this okay, but there's so much happening, and I think it's really important to to go through all of that. And I've been meaning to put out podcasts, of course, and I've been working on them behind the scenes, but I also started working and that has been kicking my butt. So let's just start talking, if you're okay with that. And uh, I, I, I miss um, talking with everybody. I think it's actually an outlet I've become used to and I feel really comfortable with. So I hope you're okay with this. But first I have to tell you that I've had my first vaccine shot. And that I knew, I knew I was relieved when my mom got both of hers. That was a big moment to have my mom finally be safe. Like now when she goes, I'm going to go over to the craft store. She doesn't craft. She goes to buy other things. But I, I just totally relaxed. I'm like, good, keep your mask on, but have a good time. And I don't have to worry anymore. Well, I can't even explain to you how it feels to get one yourself. Hopefully that's on everybody's to-do list, please. I think it's so important. We're seeing these new strains come out. We want to pump up your immune system. Even if you do get the virus, it'll be far less rigorous and far less damaging to your body. And it's that long-term COVID effects, which realize it's just a game of Russian roulette if you're going to get it or not. So we want to make sure that you're vaccinated. I want you to be vaccinated. That's important to me. You know, I'm all about being life positive and intentional and that we've got a lot of work to do as Americans in addition to the stuff we need to do just to survive. So um, I... I realize we're starting to kind of make this shift as we break out of the pandemic chaos. I'm going to talk about chaos at the end, but, but there's definitely been a shift. It doesn't mean we're all better. It doesn't mean there aren't other strains of the virus out there that could cause complications, but we've become really smart about this. And that's the part I think that everyone's forgetting is that for those of us who actually did this, kept our mask on, uh, washed our hands, managed our social distancing, we're doing pretty well. And, and it had the and had the benefit of not being an essential worker or someone who didn't have a lot of choice about being out there all the time. You know, our healthcare workers, every, I can't even, the list is too long. In fact, that was one of the best things that where I got my vaccine here in town in Santa Cruz, the health, the workers, the, the vaccine volunteers are, I'm sure they're paid because they're working their butts off, but they had put thank you signs for all kinds of occupations on this fence. And it just warmed my heart. One of the executives from the team, the medical team had a, literally a, a badge on that said executive or leader or something like that. I forget what it was, but I told her how powerful it was to see those thank you signs up and how it just made it feel really warm and like our own community. I mean, I'm in a small town, so it's nice to have that community feeling. So um, when I got the vaccine, I was excited. I did not have a lot of side effects other than tiredness. It did, it did make me tired. And I thought, well, that's fair. I've asked my immune system to really step up and do its job and work hard to build those antibodies for myself. Uh, yeah, well, here's what happened next. And I'm not exactly sure why, but I have a feeling this was what we would call a confluence, perfect storm, or in my body's case, a hat trick. By Friday, 
I woke up and I was clear that I had one of the worst UTIs I've ever had. And for those of you who have not had them, God love you. But for those of you who had, you know what I'm talking about. And I was dying. I couldn't even be far away from the house. Like I was just like, this is the worst. So I tried this um, online app because I thought, how am I going to do this? This is, I've got work to do and I'm in pain. Well, there's this app and I've um, posted about it on my Facebook, but it's, I'm going to tell you, it's a use case of one, me being the only use case. It's called K Health. K is in the letter K, K Health. And for $19, that's the current price. I suspect their model will evolve over time. But for $19, you go through uh, an AI, artificial intelligence um, intake. So, you know, when you usually go, you make your way to the doctor, you sit with all the sick people in the waiting room, you wait your turn, you go in the little room, they take all your vitals, and then they do the intake. That all happened on on the application through artificial intelligence. So already me being a techie geek, I'm delighted because I'm watching how it's working and it's like asking me really good questions and it's kind of decision tree stuff. Like, do you have this or that? Is it above this or below this? Like it just kind of started to screen down my initial, um, as I presented my initial problem, it started to screen and screen and screen. After I would say maybe, I don't even know if it was two minutes of questions. I mean, they're thought, they were good questions. Some of them silly, but they gave you decent choices. And so as you go through that, when it got to the end, it said 90% of people with these symptoms have a UTI. And I'm like, well, 59 year old women also know they have a UTI, but okay, that's good. But what I liked about it is it also had, or it could be, I think it was three other things that are significant. So just look them over, make sure that you don't think these are what's going on. So it's not like it leaves you hanging. And, and we all should be aware it's an, it's an app. I mean, the level of service I expected, I didn't expect it to, you know, diagnose me with something that would be difficult to diagnose. I went there because I knew I had a known problem that would be easy to treat. And I just needed the medicine. And for the love of God, I don't know why these medicines have to be behind the counter, but they do. So I, I did the thing. Then when you're done, it says, would you like to talk to a doctor and get treatment? Or, and it had some other choices. And frankly, I don't remember what they were. Cause I'm like, yes, doctor treatment. That's why I'm here. So then the doctor, so you, it says we will pass the case on to the doctor now and the doctor, when they're available, will send you a message and you can tell them what you'll talk to the doctor. So I did that. It didn't take very long. I want to say it was within 30 minutes. It was actually during a meeting, but I was so desperate. And the doctor just asked some more questions. I said, you know, I've had these before. I you know, usual suspects. That's the beauty of something as simple as a UTI, right? We all know. She was able, after some other kind of triage questions, just making sure, and it asked me what I'd taken before, which I can't remember because it's been a long time now. And so ended up prescribing both the antibiotic and the pain reliever medicine that goes with it, that stupid turn your uh, eye, eyeballs and pea orange stuff. But that is a pain reliever and it works immediately. So that was so worth it. She ended up prescribing both those things sending them over to Walgreens. And then I was able to pick them up. I think I had meds within two hours. That can't, that doesn't happen at the doctor's office, at the drop-in clinic or whatever. At, at one point, Walgreens and some of the, and CVS, I think we're thinking about in-store clinics, but this, I think, busts up that model because when it's for these low-level tertiary or kind of um, transactional illnesses, you know, where our bodies just have a, a bacteria or something going on. This idea of being able to get healthcare without having to 
be in a room with sick people, wait in an uncomfortable place. Like that day, my body did not want to be anywhere but home. It, it blows it all up. It's amazing. And you can get what you need. So I, I was delighted. I started on my antibiotics. I started on the painkiller by Friday evening. I'm like, oh my God, I'm a different person. This is fantastic. Well, kind of let my guard down because uh, I think that my immune system was already compromised because I had the COVID shot and now I have an infection and now I've loaded in antibiotics, which by the way, didn't compete with the vaccine. I checked all that first, but you know what happened next. If you're a woman, I got a yeast infection. So I, it's Sunday. Of course it's Sunday. It's always Sunday, isn't it? It's always Sunday. And I thought, I cannot, I cannot. And it was not, it came, it was massive. Like it clearly my body was, could not handle all the things I was doing to it. So I decided to try K-Health again, not start a new case. I went back to my existing case, the one, the initial infection. And I said, I forgot to ask for Diflucan. And I'll be damned if on the same case, no additional money or anything. Can you imagine this with your actual doctor? Unless you have a really good relationship, this doesn't happen. They just prescribed the Diflucan. 71 cents later, I had two doses of Diflucan from Walgreens. Yes, 71 cents. Why is this stuff behind the counter? Anyway, I had the Diflucan, took my first pill, much better by Sunday night, like phenomenally better <laughs> until yesterday <laughs> when I discovered the yeast had come back and was in my mouth. I had that once before when I was a youngster on a, one of my first massive work assignments in, in Illinois. And I had been on the road there for days. Uh, we were doing, we, I was working for the Board of Governors Universities as a, a strategic marketing person to help them come in and start to position their brand and, and really uh, clarify what that group of universities was versus the University of Illinois. So they were trying to differentiate. It's kind of like Cal States versus the UCs in, in Illinois. So I'm traveling around the state and I'll be damned if I didn't get the worst case of candesis in my mouth. I thought I was going to die. I didn't know what it was. I was, I just didn't know you could, that could happen. So when I got it yesterday, I was starting to freak out. And luckily I had this, I have the second dose of Diflucan, but I also did the thing. And if you haven't done it before, here's a good time. If you ever think there's something going on in your mouth, they, the recommendation is, the, uh, the natural recommendation is to gargle with some parts of water and apple cider vinegar. And then they warn you if it's yeast, which I had, um, it'll sizzle the yeast. Uh, TMI? Are you have? Are you laughing? I hope you're laughing because it was hilarious. Um, I gargled with that. You just, I just switched. I couldn't drink it. I know some of you guys drank this stuff. It's got to be an acquired taste because to me, it tastes like they took an apple and just figured out all the ways you could ruin an apple in one fell swallow. I did not swallow it. I just swish and swish and swish, but I could hear the sizzle and I could feel the sizzle and it. My tongue was already so miserable, it didn't really hurt. It just was more like, what a freak. I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe this is where I am right now as I'm sizzling my tongue. But today, I took the last day flukin last night, and today I woke up and I'm like, yes, I think I'm 100% back. So it only took a week to kill my, my immune system with the shot, the infection, the antibiotics, the yeast, the yeast killer, like, oh my God. Anyway, all these things that are some of the reason I've been a little delayed because I just have not been 
uh, my brain's been fine, but my body's just been a wreck. So my next shot, my final shot is the Friday before Easter weekend. I did that strategically so that if I go down, I'm, I'm taking Pfizer. If I go down, I have the whole weekend to just be a bum, including probably I could even take Monday if I need to, to be a bum. But, but the joy, because <laughs> there is joy, even though my story is so lame, the joy of being able to get that vaccine and knowing I'm now one step forward. I, it means I can go visit Katie more often. It means I just can go, I'll feel more comfortable going out to stores and stuff. I'm still wearing a mask because frankly, now I feel like masks, I don't know why we're not wearing them all the time. Like I've been so healthy. It, it's crazy. It's ironic. I just said that. I don't, I hear myself, but the idea that I didn't, I haven't had colds. I haven't had a flu. I had a little tiny thing like in January, which I think is a little bit of regular grunt that I did myself. You know, we just aren't spreading germs. And I, I guess I've become a little tiny bit of a germaphobe. Not too far. It's okay. I got other addictions that are far more interesting than germs, but I do feel the euphoria and I hear it and I see it in other people. And, and of course it, it also helps that um, you know, what, what, the spring is here. We've got more light. These things are starting, you know, we're starting to shift. So I, I want to start off just with that happiness. And then I want to talk about some things that are tough, but I'm going to talk about first this really cool thing that happened from my last podcast. So the last podcast was about the halo effect and attractiveness theory. And I mentioned a professor I had at UC Davis, um, Mike Sutter Frank, and he, and as it turns out, one of his students listens. I see you out there. I hear you. Oh God, I, I had your name too. I think it's, no, I'm not going to say it because I'm going to get it wrong. Anyway, I know you're listening and you're awesome. And you, I thank you for the connection because it was just too cool. So she is a former student of his, but she knows where he is, which is at the um, University of Minnesota Duluth, right? Do I have that? I have that right, I think. I hope, please God, you'll tell me if I don't. Anyway, he's teaching there and been teaching there and she had him as a professor. So she was able to connect the pod to him, let him know about it. And then he sent me the sweetest note. And what he said was, and I think this is so true for all my teacher friends. And it's something that, I mean, I, I actually wish I could tell some of the teachers I had how much they meant to me, especially when you have a, a, a kind of fucked up childhood. Those teachers are a life line. I mean, a lifeline. If they see you, they recognize you and they don't, they don't have that crap from home that your parents and your siblings put on you and all those tropes that become, oh, you know, Jenny, she's the lazy one. You're like those kind of things. Your teachers don't see that. They see you and they see what you can and can't do. And they see where, where you get frustrated and where you succeed. And I've had teachers that have just made such a difference in my life. Well, that's what Professor Sander Frank said. He said it helps. It, it You can't know what it means when you hear from a student years later, whenever, that what they learned or that you gave them something that they could take with them. And I think that is, I'm going to tear up. That's so true. I mean, any of us, any of us regular people would feel that way, like non-teachers. It's just when you give someone something that they can take with them, isn't that like how we are a community, isn't that how we come together? And the idea of, um, I just, I, I feel, I feel so compelled to reach out to my old teachers, but there are a lot of them now that I'm no longer a junior, they're, they're not here anymore. And so I send out those good vibes to the universe because teachers are everything. And so are any adults and any people out there who can see folks for who they are and don't judge them and, and just are willing to let people be 
themselves and can see their strengths and their weaknesses and still don't judge that. That is just huge. So it was delightful to have that whole thing play out and to have this professor from, I'm telling you, it's like 1983, I think. So we're talking about, we both lived our whole lives. And I, I don't know if he knew my relationship to the Golden State Killer. He does now, but I don't know if he knew then uh, because no, he didn't because we weren't related to the Golden State Killer in 1983. We were a murderer of Ventura and there's no way he would have known about that. So there was a lot for him to catch up on too, but it turns out, you know, I'm, I'm a communicator and that's what he taught me. So that was um, amazing. And I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, it is Michelle. That's what I thought. It's Michelle. And it was, um, she's sporadically fabulous is her handle on Twitter. And thank you, Michelle, for that, because that was a gift. That's the kind of gift that, you know, we all treasure. Thank you so, so much for that. So another, now, contrary to that, because that was pure joy, another really, really weird thing happened. And, and it's funny because it comes out of the the sexual assault community. And I didn't expect it. And it didn't, it wasn't directly to me. It's actually shared with me from somebody very close. But the issue is that we're still judging each other and we're judging who and who hasn't been sexually assaulted. And that's not okay. It's, it's, that's what the courts are for and all these other places. But to say someone doesn't understand is incredibly presumptuous. It's probably one of the most common lines written on TV shows. The victim looks at the per other person and says, you just don't know what it's like. How the hell do they know? And I, I'm tired of that line on TV shows because it's incredibly reckless and thoughtless and it makes the victim look stupid because I don't think a lot of people say to other people, you don't know what I'm going through. That's a really, it's just too trite. Most victims aren't really in attack mode even maybe at the point where they're exasperated, but not at the beginning. And so this idea is you don't know what my pain is really not fair because the thing is we may not know your exact pain, but we know pain and we're not competing with you. And it's not about who knows, who knows the pain more and who suffered more. I know everybody on this podcast knows this already, but it's so important. And it's really important if you overhear it to maybe pull the person aside and go, maybe not the best tactic. Why don't you just say, tell me about it. Just tell me about it or just back off. But to, to decide that, you know, my personal history. Oh, look, I'm so tacky that my thing is out. That's to decide that, you know, my personal history, uh, other than what I've shared with you. I mean, I've been quite candid about a lot of things, but there's some stuff I don't share. And I won't share, not as long as my mom is alive, I will not share it. Sorry, it's locked down, not gonna happen. And I know there's other victims out there like this, like me, but that's just how I need it to be. And so I just wanted to bring it up because it's so easy. We're in such a vitriolic, crazy time where there are so many ways for us to say things without really having to be accountable for them, which is maybe the most important part. My, my rule, I, not at first, I spent the first 30 years of my life um, being a smarty pants. My dad had rewarded that behavior. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And I could manipulate and game anything. I was just, a, I was perfect for politics, right? I had that, that shark mind. But then I realized it was just gross. And I was thinking about becoming a mother. It was kind of my, my late 20s. And I was like, well, if I, need, if I ever do become a parent, what kind of parent do I want to be? And I knew it was different than how my parents wanted. My parents were, I wanted to be different. And I had already been through 
a, an amazing class with my professor Linda Acredolo at UC Davis on developmental psychology. And prior to her class, I, I might have talked about this before, but prior to her class, I had thought children were to be seen and not heard. I thought they destroyed marriages because ours, my mom's and dad's just uh, blew up. The kids were constantly the issue. Who had custody? My dad wanted my brothers. He didn't want me, as explained by Jill Karen at the uh, victim impact statements. Um, it, it, kids were the problem. Kids were absolutely the problem. So I had decided I didn't want kids. They were they were just horrible things until they were adults. They just were problems. And then when I took Linda Credolo's class, developmental psych, and learned that babies from the beginning come, it, there's no, they come packaged on their own. I don't even know the best way to say it. They're their own little people. And that's, and, and after learning that they come with their own package and that you just have to, to be a parent, the key to parenting is to accept the package. You don't get to change the package. You get to nurture the package. You get to teach the package, but you can't change the package. If your kid is hyper, that's a feature. You can teach the kid how to manage their hyperactivity. You can put them in programs or run them in soccer or do all those things that all the tools that we have out there now, but you can't change that. But also if your kid is uh, sensitive, inquisitive, all those things come with the package. And when I learned that about that, it happens at the baby level because Linda wrote the book, Baby Signs, um, it, it changed everything for me. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm not just living with another person. That's my chance to just teach and grow another person and thinking of the baby as a person, not as a baby. And because of that, I started using the uh, Rye method for how I raised Katie, thanks to a very beautiful, wonderful woman named Rainbow of all things. But she taught me about REI, no, R-I-E, Rye, whatever, look it up. REI screwed me up once they came out with that store. But the method is says, essentially the method says, you wouldn't walk up to another adult who just sneezed and wipe their nose without telling them. You just wouldn't do that. That would be weird. So what the method says is that you tell the baby, I'm going to wipe your nose. So then when you come in for the nose wipe, the kid isn't like, what the hell? And then it, there's, it, this is so simplified, but it goes on to say, Katie didn't tantrum. But, and I think, and my mom credits who watched everything. She says it's because you never caught her off guard and you always were aware of what she needed at the same time, meaning I could tell she was tired or she had had too much to do in a day or whatever, but I didn't ever try to change what she was doing without helping her understand a transition was coming because transitions are important. It's, I mean, think about it as an adult, you're in your chair, you're relaxed, you've had a glass of wine, the world is fine and your kid walks in crying and needs to do so and need you to come help them change their tire. That is a rough transition. Some of the transitions we go through are, you know, they happen easily and some are horrible, but the best thing you could do is to make sure that you talk to the person and set their expectation. And, and I started with babies. Okay, blah, blah, blah. So I had kids, Linda Credolo, another professor, that was amazing. And this idea of appreciating people for who they are. So that was a whole, so I'll, I'll get back on track. So, sorry. I just love this stuff. Um, I love the idea of people and our behavior and how we can help each other without having to give ourselves up. We don't have to get lost ourselves, but just this idea of respecting one another. I think that's, oh, I know what was about this, that we all are saying everything now and not thinking and not being accountable. And this is really our opportunity to be accountable for what we say. I think it's one of the few things that's going to calm things down is if we all think 
a little bit more about what we're saying and maybe focus on being a little more productive or have an intention to help, not tell somebody what to do, but to offer a suggestion or share a story about what you did. That's a great one. You have to give advice. You could just say, here's what happened to me. Just like I started this podcast with the K-Health thing. Here's what I did. You go check it out. It's an app. On, on, it's an app. It doesn't cost anything for the app. So that kind of help, I think, will help us all. Because what I'm realizing is that I, I'm, I'm now that I'm working again and I get a break from all the social media and the news and everything, because I'm a political junkie and I like keeping up with the news, but I, I have started to take a break because, frankly, there's a lot of really good people now that are figuring out all the problems in the government. So that's a relief, right? There's just, whether I agree or disagree, there are many, many good people who are working on our problems. So Jen Carroll doesn't have to worry about it anymore. But what I have realized is that we are also, I like words that came out of rhetoric, though these words like existential. So, oh my God, it threatens our very existence. I can't hear anymore. Okay, climate change is an existential threat. We're seeing it right now with weather and weather pattern changes and um, losing flora and fauna. I mean, those kind of things. Okay, that could be an existential threat because it really does threaten our existence. But we hear existential all the time. We hear historic. I love the, the, the meme that's going around. It's like, I have lived through more historic events than anybody and I'm only 20 years old. I feel like that's our kids for sure. There's just been so much from 9-11 to, we'll start with Y2K, 9-11. They've got, we had election that was funny with hanging chads. I mean, there's just been so much. That's just in two years, 2000, 2001, 2002. Holy crap. But the idea is that we use these languages. The other one is unprecedented. I feel like unprecedented is almost a bad word now because honestly, in a world where technology is changing at something like 10x or 75x or some ridiculous amount of change happens on the technology side, by the way, way too fast for humans to absorb. So when you want to shoot your mom for needing tech support, oh, that's, that's me, sorry. When I want to shoot my mom for needing more tech support, part of the problem is that the technology is advancing way faster than human brains can adapt. We just can't adapt that fast. So as these things happen, unprecedented is kind of the times. Everything's going to be unprecedented because we we innovate and things are new. So I, I, what I worry about is these words start to make everything sound too big and then it becomes big and it feels like especially in the last four years everything was big and it was this idea of constant constant chaos and the I finally started watching Homeland and I for my poor roommate I pause the tv all the time because I just my brain is like oh oh connection connection and what I in watching Homeland and I we have a mentally unhealthy main character in there but what I realize in watching it now, because I'm on season five, I think, is that the CIA is attra attracts people who are addicted to chaos. And if you remember, there is this thing about being addicted to chaos. It was kind of the, the rage. I, I had looked this up. I think it was like uh, in the 2000s, maybe, maybe a little bit in the later 2000s, where this addiction, addicted to chaos thing started. And essentially, this all, I'm going to connect the dots now because this is where survivors of trauma often live. And it doesn't have to be sexual assault. I mean, any kind of trauma. If you've lived in a state of hypervigilance for any amount of time, there's a very good chance you could become addicted to chaos. And what that really means and how it's 
it, it, there's there go look it up if you want the scientific definition but it really means that when things are calm you get antsy it's hard to be calm i'm absolutely dealing with that right now as i'm starting to work again and be really busy I was just talking with my therapist about it yesterday. I said, I'm, I'm kind of scared because I'm getting up in that ramp again where I call her the manager. But when I get going, I start to just be way amped up. And by eight o'clock at night, it's hard to come down. And I, I mean, I, I, I've used weed, but I'm trying not to now. I'm trying to just actually come down. I'm also trying really hard not to get so amped up maybe take more walks, distract myself a little bit more during the day. But this idea of being addicted to chaos is what feeds people who need it. If it, it, it feels familiar and it also means, this is the most important part. If you're addicted to chaos, it means that you're not listening to yourself. Okay, I'm gonna slow down again and say that because this is really important for anybody who's moving through trauma. If you're addicted to chaos, you aren't listening to yourself. You are living in a world of transactions and drama. You are helping everybody else and solving all kinds of problems, but I bet you haven't taken care of yourself at all. And if you do, you sigh or you grumble about it because you just don't have time for it. So I'm gonna give you a little quiz. So get ready. You can write down your answers on a piece of paper. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 10 questions. There are true or false questions, just as you're, if you're walking or exercising, first of all, God love you. But uh, think about these and, and think if this is you in any way. The first question is, do you usually yell and scream to make your point? True or false? Do you ramp things up to win the argument? So are you an escalator? Do you like, oh, I hate people who burn down the house. That's one of, one of my good friends. It, she doesn't do it anymore, but she used to get mad and burn down the house. Like, no, no, calm down first, then choose what you want to do. But, but she, she was addicted to chaos. She's worked very hard not to be, but yeah, for sure. If you get sick, do you feel that everyone should know about it? Okay. Shut up. I know I just told you guys all got sick. I just told you all about it. But I didn't tell you when I was sick. I was telling you about how I solved my problem. So I'm going to just, I'm just going to differentiate that right now. The idea is that, do you want everybody paying attention to you? Do you want everybody to come around, be involved in your drama? So you can tell people, but the point here is, do you feel like everyone should know? So that's, check yourself, true or false. When you argue, do you ever break things or knock them over? So essentially, you're already worked up in an argument. Does it become physical? Do you do things to amp it up and increase the drama? Does being calm or bored sound like the worst thing to you? Think about that, please. It's being calm or bored. My new favorite pleasure is to turn the TV off at 10 o'clock and sit in the quiet room in the living room with the kitties and just either read Twitter or kind of mess around on my phone, but just no noise, just perfect quiet. I could hear the cats purr. It's so wonderful. Before I go to bed, it's just that kind of shush. Sometimes I'll play music because it doesn't, it's not challenging my thoughts. And unfortunately, I usually play music from my 
young years that bring back all these memories. It's crazy. But um, but in some ways delightful if I'm in a really good space. Like I'll have great dreams because I listen to that old music from the 80s. Yeah, I said the 80s, okay? The 80s. Okay, so does being calm or bored sound like the worst thing to you? If that's true, by the way, just this question alone, I want you to isolate that and come back to that. That's what I want you to think about when you when you have a chance because we all should be able to be calm or be bored and it shouldn't be the worst thing. Do you ever yell at strangers? Sorry, this is the Karen question and I'm sorry to everyone named Karen. I didn't do it. I'm just perpetuating it. Does Do you ever yell at strangers if you feel that they are in your way? Now, if you're right now saying, no, I don't. What if you're in the car? How much do you yell in the car? How much do you get mad at the driver ahead of you as if they have the plan? They woke up that morning and decided they wanted to ruin your life. It just doesn't happen. They don't even care about you. This is a you problem. So do you ever yell at strangers if you feel they are in your way? Next question. Do you hate it when you are not the center of attention? I suspect as trauma survivors, this is not something that most of us want to be. I, I love being involved in big things, but I don't particularly like being the center. I, I always said I'd make a great um, politician's wife because I like to pull all the strings behind the scenes and then I'll be Doug Emhoff. That's me. I'll be the first gentleman. That sounds, I mean, second gentleman. I, I love that. That would be like the ultimate perfect job for me is that I want to pull the strings and I want to um, figure out, think, do the things I want to do because I don't want to have to be beholden to all the people I've got to go serve in meetings and all that stuff. That That's not fun to me. But do you want to be the center of attention and do you hate it when you're not? If that's an answer is true, that's important. Is there usually, this is the big one. This is probably, this is the one that for me, when I see friends that are going through stuff, these are the, this is the number one thing they have. Is there usually a crisis to solve in your life? I've called them crisis junkies, uh, that, that everything has to be turned into a crisis. And part of that, the way that happens is because the person who loves chaos doesn't see the value in calming down and starting to isolate things. So recently, Katie, my daughter, was going through something and she's really having a hard time figuring things out because it's kind of a complicated problem. And she was pretty wound up. And I started to pull it apart and say, okay, let's get out a, get out a piece of paper and I'm going to I want you to just put these in different buckets because as we started to talk, I could tell some was her stuff, like the things she needs to work on. Some was some bad behavior by her, by the people she was working with. And then some was because she hadn't created any set of rules for herself about what she was willing to tolerate in, in her business. And so as I, as we started, to, she, it, it relieved her tremendously. I'm really glad because it, it, she was struggling, but this is, if, if you don't know how to do this without if you don't know how to solve a problem without it being a crisis, chances are you're taking all the action and you're not doing a lot of the thinking. The thinking you're doing is triage. The thinking you're doing is immediate uh, response. But this maybe not be particularly thoughtful. Now, I happen to like the bucket method because it works for my brain and I can see the connections, but I also need to just distinguish which things are mine, which things are yours, which things are real. Where are people taking advantage of me? Where have I taken advantage of others? Where are the boundaries messed up? Sometimes just, I've even done, I, like I have these crazy pads. I usually have graph paper, actually. This is my graph paper. Yeah, I have crazy pads like this. I don't know if you can see it, but I have these crazy pads and then I can, I, I draw, I like actually will draw buckets or circles and I'll go, oh, this is really over here. And this is over here. I like it. I find, I guess you could call it diagramming, but I like to call it drawing, <laughs> but, um, and I still use words because I'm 
word-based, but the idea is if you're living in a play, in a way where you're using crisis, that it, it, it has to be a crisis for you to solve. And that feels like you do that every day. I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath and think about some other ways to slow down and stop escalating it. So that's the question from my diatribe, but is there usually a crisis to solve, solve in your life, true or false? Do you break up or threaten to break up with a mate often? Holy crap, talk about creating a crisis. This one's a big one. You don't, I don't even know how people live in those kind of relationships. What a bunch of drama. Like, who needs all that? Figure it out. Like, either you're in a relationship and you're there to support each other, and that's what we do. I mean, to me, relationships are about helping each other be better people and being there for each other when we're not. Like, all of that, That's it comes with the whole package when you're in a relationship with someone. And even friends, honestly, even friends, we're there to help each other be better people, right? And to support each other when we're not. Like, that's what happens. So if you're one of those people that has to go for the big drama, I'm going to break up with you. We're not, I'm not going to see you anymore. You might be addicted to chaos. And then the last question, are you usually the one who starts the fights? And again, don't answer right away. You're going to need to think this through because it doesn't have to be overt fight starting. In fact, one of the best tools victims of trauma typically use is passive aggressive uh, fight starting. So you keep forgetting. Yeah, let me make this up. You, your job is to take out the garbage, but you actually keep waiting till like 1030 at night on garbage night to take it out. Or you make sandwiches in the morning and you know that your 16-year-old son hates mayo and yet you put mayo on the sandwich every time. I hope you know that goes in the trash can, by the way, because they, they just throw it away. But the idea is, I'm just using that as an example, but the idea is it doesn't have to be overt to start a fight. There's a lot of ways to start a fight that does, that is not overt. And so you need to do your own personal inventory and figure out if that's something you're doing. And the reason I I'm bringing this up is that I think we're living in a time, you know, when I'm talking about the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic and it, how, how it's going to, how it's been different, how we're going to do it, uh, pandemic brain. There's been so many things. Those of you that have had to work out, outside of the home all this time, you guys are a wreck. Like you just need a rest. I don't even know how to get you a rest. You need a rest. So plan rest because you really deserve a rest. Those of us working at home need to get the hell out of our houses. Like I, I work in this office and I walk out to the living room that you're looking at right now. This is my world. It's, you know, a very, very lovely, lovely prison. I'm super blessed to have this lovely prison, but oh my God, I'm so tired of this house. So all of us have been under that kind of stress, but what we're, what the news channels aren't talking about and, and probably the sociologists and psychologists are, and, and, and eventually the anthropologists will talk about, is that we also experienced a pandemic during a time when our country was in absolute chaos. And it's somewhat satisfying to now start to get validation of, yeah, it really was chaotic because we didn't really know. I mean, there was lots of stories, but it, everything was about Trump and it was all kind of noise. It was hard to discern, right? Because it was just too much and everything wasn't working the way it used to work. I mean, so many things weren't working properly. So on top of our own suffering and coping and patience and cooperation and collaboration and all the things we did as good members of society, we had in our leadership chaos. And we still have chaos. I mean, it's still there, but it, it feels like it's starting to become ordered. And 
we don't have to, we don't have to worry about it in the same way. In fact, I feel really strongly that our obligation is to actually go be good people, do good things, help each other locally, do what we can to support one another while the leaders get it together because they need to get it together. There's a lot of work we've got to do. Um, and I mean, you know, y'all know, I'm just, I'm right now I'm about ready to go start fighting for voter HR one voter rights or S one now because it's in the Senate, but this voter rights bill, I think is the essential ingredient to start to turn this country around and stop having just a few people run it and us be their puppets. It's, I really love the idea of a democracy that's for the people by the people and that it's one person, one vote. I think, you know, I bought into that ideal from the beginning of my education. That, that to me is the ultimate goal. And so the, the reason I'm talking about these today, not to be a political person, but it, it all ties together, which is how we care for one another and really make sure that we pay attention to our own behavior and our own feelings. And that there's ways we don't even understand how the world impacted us in the last year and a half. It has been hard. So when you, as you're coming out of it, I talk with my therapist about this all the time, but it's like, if we're coming out of this, come out of it with the same patience we had during the pandemic, the same uh, grace and love that we've had during the pandemic, and also the self-care that we need because we were put through such strain during the pandemic. And it's not over. I know it's not over, but the idea that we feel much more confident operating in a world with the pandemic is Oh, it's so good. I mean, that's just so amazing. So yeah, this is kind of my coffee talk. I, I, I do have my, I, I have my coffee and don't tell anybody, but I do have my cherry pop tart because the cherry pop tart is where it's at. at, at cherry pop tart to the ball. I will, I am working on a couple of formal podcasts actually about a couple of interesting topics. Um, my person who got out of prison was going to come on, but it, as I expected, and I think it was a, his right decision, he's decided it's too soon. I agree. I know coming out of the, after, in August, after we had the conviction, I really, I really ended up, I, I thought I wasn't in a dark place, but I really ended up in a pretty dark place just because so you're so busy in the actions of the time, you don't realize how much you've taken on. And so uh, I, I, I'm going to, I have other podcasts bring you. And, and like I said, they're in development. I just haven't quite finished them yet because work's been busy, but I wanted to touch base because I miss you guys. I love talking to you. And I want to thank you so much for listening to The Lawyer's Daughter. I want you to get out there. I'm going to put the little link to the um, chaos thing in the description for the podcast so you guys can go take a look at these questions again if you'd like to hear it. The, the thing is, if they say, they said it, the I didn't even give you the results. If you answered yes to five or more of the questions, true to five or more of the questions, you are addicted to chaos. So the article is interesting because it, it actually kind of surveys the literature. And so I'll, I'll definitely put that link in there so you can take a look and see if that's you. But I, if you are, I want you to come back. I want you to rejoin us on the go slow and slow down, go slow and stay low kind of philosophy of just, let's just reemerge a better people and um, and I'll meet you for margaritas and chips and salsa at happy hour. How's that? Have a great day and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to The Lawyer's Daughter. Venture Highway.